From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy! Hello and welcome back to Inside Jeopardy, our exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy. I'm Sarah Foss and I'm joined today by Buzzy Cohen. Hi, Sarah. How are you feeling post-Thanksgiving? Are you still oh, full? Oh, yeah. The tryptophan is still uh, yeah. seeping in there. You know, turkey leftovers, they do not disappoint. Now, we do, uh, go- you do the gobbler sandwich? I don't know. It's like a sandwich, a leftover sandwich, turkey okay. leftover sandwich. Yeah. yeah, all the stuff. Do you yeah. put the cranberry in it? Oh, yeah. that's controversial. You got to. You need you a little, s- you need little bit of sweet. A little sweet, a little tart. Okay. You know, I don't even bother with the bread. I just like to take all the stuff and just throw it in the microwave just all together. Kind just of, regular just leftovers. reheated. Yeah, I love that. My mom likes to make a kind of like a turkey pot pie with the leftovers. Okay. What it's all con- goes into it? Turkey, stuffing, sometimes like peas and carrots and stuff like that. And then uh, sort of like a shepherd's pie, she she tops it with the mashed potatoes. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. It sounds good. Thanksgiving is behind us. The holidays now ahead. I have to know. Are you ready? Hanukkah for you a little early this year. A little early, but we like it. There was one year, I don't know if you remember, when Hanukkah and Thanksgiving fell together. So we had latkes at the, <laughs> at the Thanksgiving uh, dinner, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, no, we're, uh, we're gearing up. One of my kids is really into surfing and uh, needed a new wetsuit and boots because the water gets cold well, here. Cold in the winter. Um, and got them early. So that... Hanukkah present is done, so I really only have one more kid to figure out, plus all the nieces and nephews and stuff like that. How about you? Are you getting ready for... I mean, I can't imagine what a (laughs) Foss Christmas looks like. Just based on (laughs) Halloween, I have to imagine that it's a lot. Yeah, there there may or may not be 14 Christmas bins of decorations that come out. Oh, my God. How many bins of Halloween decorations do you have? Oh, you have about nine of those. You know, we have neighbors who also decorate for Thanksgiving. Oh, have, we do too. Oh my God! It's only two. It's only two <laughs> bins. It's only two bins for Thanksgiving. Do but... you guys? Sorry, I'm I'm just yeah. Obs- as go, it, go. I, I hope some of my fellow Jewish listeners out there can attest. <laughs> like, we have like a real fascination with Christmas because it's such a big part of culture, and it's not something that we usually get to participate in. So, like, do you guys do matching pajamas? Oh yeah. Is Christmas Eve the bigger thing or is Christmas morning, Christmas Day the bigger thing? Well, let me just back it up because as of Thanksgiving, Chippy the Elf delivers oh my God. the matching pajamas because Chippy comes back from the North Pole. Yeah. That's so, the elf on a shelf? Yeah. But now I have one who, you know, is more in the spirit than others, shall we right. say, since yeah. I have a 10-year-old and a now 6-year-old as of uh, just a couple weeks ago. Well, it's, it's holiday season, but it's yes. also... A really big season in Jeopardy yes. production time because we're just one day away from taping our second chance competition with our season nice. 39 players. So this yeah. is the the postseason that we had intended to really kick off the season with. So we're really feeling like this is the real launch yeah. of season 40. Not that we haven't enjoyed all of the competitions leading up to this, but, but now we're really in the groove and I think everyone is going to love getting to see these players back. I'm excited. Are, we're, are we going to do Jeopardy honors again? That is all in the plans. Oh, yes. my God. And more categories, more winners. More categories, more yeah, winners. Speaking you know, of categories, yes. there's been a little bit of chatter online about the contestants reading the full category, which is a, a change to the rules or yes. this season. Not really a rule. A, a, Not really a, a suggestion. Rule. A guided suggestion. Yeah. Yes. You know, Everyone has lots of opinions, obviously, but we had heard a lot from people that they were really 
confused as to where people were going on the game board and that they couldn't really follow it. So we are trying this season, having the contestants ask for the full category. Of course, we have Michelle Hampton, who mm-hmm. works brilliantly in the back. She's the one that actually enables each of those clues to pop out. So she's listening live to the contestants. She needs to hear what they want and for how much before she can go ahead and activate that clue to be revealed. So it was really in the spirit of letting the viewers follow along a little better and also letting our team make sure that we're not inadvertently popping out the wrong right. clue and then having to replace it. It's not set in stone, and obviously it's just a recommendation, and we like to know what people are thinking about yeah. it. Well, uh, Andy over at the Jeopardy fan wrote that he's okay with it because we've seen full set of clues every game this season. I'm accepting it because we're 46 episodes in with zero unplayed clues. I know that's always been a big thing for Andy as well as other fans. Uh, yeah, they want to see every clue on that game board revealed, and I will say that when we are in these competitions and tournaments, it's important that every single player Absolutely. has an equal playing field. So we cannot have some of our contestants play some of the clues and some not be able to play others. I know that's a big deal when there are wild card slots. Does it still is it still a factor when it's a straight competition like this? We feel it is. Okay. Yeah, we do. We want to give every one of our contestants the best shot of advancing and that means 61 opportunities yeah. to score. Well, Sam Cavanaugh chimed in with a slightly different take. And he said, the issue I have here is that shortening a category title has been a useful strategy, especially when paired with a forest bounce, e.g. saying cities instead of B cities can interrupt opponents or move the game more quickly. You know, people can't get their footing. Ending that takes away a tool from the limited tool set that great players use. Yeah, this was obviously um, a tactic Yes, that Chuck Forrest had. And it was that I'm going to bounce around. I'm going to call it so quickly that my fellow contestants aren't even going to know what they're asking for in this clue because they don't even know what category I'm in. I love tactics. I love it all. But I think that um, for everyone involved, we're making... We're making a TV show. It's yeah. a quiz show. Um, but keep the comments coming. You yeah. know, obviously, we're always listening, and nothing is, you know, put into stone and never can be changed or altered. But as Andy said, we've made it through every clue this season. You're getting every bit of jeopardy, and you're getting to hear every category yeah, over and I mean, over again. <laughs> to Sam's point, I remember in my second game of regular play, I was against a very tough player named Jerry Virakunov. He missed a number of clues in a category of the film, so Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. And he kept we kept selecting films because at the time, as you may or may not know, in the briefing, they suggested we actually shorten them right. to keep the game moving. To keep the game moving. And he missed a few because he wasn't paying attention to the category, which as we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you have something that's correct but doesn't Correct, just based on the clue, but not fulfilling the category. So if you're playing against someone who makes those kinds of mistakes, you could see how using that could help. But I think overall, there's a lot more going on than just those little tips and tricks. We'll see how it goes. Let's keep doing that. Now we'll head back to Jeopardy Airtime, Let's do it. And today kicks off the two-day total point of fare for our club's group, the final. And that means next up, the hearts. Yes. We have the spade, the diamond the club and now the heart yes but here on the pod we're going to be highlighting the last of the quarterfinal games for the clubs and the semifinals looking forward to diving into those games with you very soon and later in the pod we'll be speaking with diamonds finalist aaron craig about his return to the alex trebek stage but first let's take a look back at this week in jeopardy history kathy we begin with you 
Which two names did you come up with? I picked uh, what are John and Simon. Sorry, not right. Cost you everything you had. Okay, let's go to Rob. He had 8,400. He picked Thomas and <laughs> Judas. <laughs> Cost him 7,500, leaving him with 900. Let's go to Ken Jennings now, had 23,200. He has not missed many questions that have to do, or clues that have to do with the Bible. He selected Matthew and Andrew, and he risked 5,800, and that's right. 29,000 is what you get today, and it brings your total to 2 million. $520,700. We've passed the $2.5 million mark. Will it get to three? Come see us again tomorrow. I can't believe it. 19 years ago wow. it was this week when Ken Jennings made Jeopardy history. He had been making Jeopardy history for yes. weeks at that point, but he secured that 74th consecutive win, you know, earning a mere $2,520,700. He did it in a runaway. And his streak, which had originally kicked off on June 2nd, it ended the following day when he was defeated by Nancy Zerg, the giant killer. Yep. Of course, Ken would return. He would return for the ultimate tournament of champions, the battle of the decades, the all-star games in which he was defeated by Brad Rutter in all three of those, and also the IBM Watson Challenge, where... They both lost to a supercomputer. That's when Brad could always say he had never been defeated on Jeopardy by a human, only right. a computer. However, for the greatest of all time competition, along with James Holtzauer, Ken, of course, won that tournament for the first time, defeating Brad Rutter and earning the $1 million prize and becoming our GOAT, later to become a host of Jeopardy. Yes. <laughs> I think we all... Remember where we were when Ken was on that streak? Those of yes. us who are fans, you were probably on set. Yep. I, were you guys still? Were you traveling around then? We were traveling. In fact, when Ken lost, I remember we were in a bus, a mini bus of sorts, headed to our next location. Wow! And we got the call; he lost. So I actually wow. wasn't in the studio on the day that he lost. But Interesting. I certainly remember the weeks and months during his run, and just yeah. wondering, you know, as you talked about a lot on the podcast. This is Jeopardy about what we thought in those moments. What would happen? Yeah. You know, was he going to break Jeopardy? Yeah. And he, I mean, in a way he did. I think knowing that that could be done, I think has changed the way people have approached the game. Because even if it hasn't been replicated, you know, the idea of these super champs, the idea that you can really play the game on a totally different level hadn't really been imagined before that. So, yeah. yeah. And Jeopardy champions hadn't become household names. Yeah in the way that Ken was really the first person yep. to do that after his run. He's on Letterman. He's on yeah. every show you can come up with. And the idea that we now have a new person to reference instead of Einstein for saying someone is brilliant. Yeah, it's good. How often does that come around? I love it. All right. Well, now it's time for some game highlights of current games. Yeah, let's so, do it. We kicked off the week with Verlinda Johnson-Henning, Kevin Hirsch, and Deanna Bolio, fresh off her second chance competition win. They were all competing in our eighth quarterfinal of the club's group. Deanna got off to a hot start, never looking back, scoring 25 correct responses, getting all three daily doubles. She pulls off an impressive runaway win. In the interview, Deanna talked about, after her appearance on Second Chance, people yeah. seeing her shows, that now people are just coming up with random facts and that she's just kind of been filing them away in preparation for coming back. And Ken joked, that's that's good Jeopardy preparation. It, the universe is giving back 
Buzzy, I have to know, do you get this? <laughs> I get a little bit of this. I more often get people trying to stump me. Ah, uh, yeah. They do think you, that's more fun. I, I agree. think they think it's more fun. But, you know, what I find is it generally tends to be something that is like they know a lot about but isn't necessarily like general knowledge. Yes. And so it's fun for them and it's not that fun for me. Yeah. But I humor them and I was like, oh, well, you should take the test. You clearly know your stuff. There you go. Take that anytime test. We move on to Tuesday's game where Nick Heisey, Ed Hashima, our first runner-up to Sam Buttry, you may remember in the Professor's Tournament, and Sandy Olive competed in the final quarterfinal game of the club's group. Ed battled with Sandy through most of the game, but was able to pull away in double jeopardy on the strength of two big daily doubles and a string of correct responses locking up a runaway score on the very last three clues of the round. When the game's happening and those clues are mm-hmm. being revealed and someone is in that zone, It's it goes so fast. Yeah. And that's just me watching. I can't imagine what it's like to be up there as his competitors. Yeah, I mean, 100% correct in double jeopardy with $11,000 in daily doubles. That's a hard uh, opponent to go up against. So showing us once again how great the uh, pool of that professor's tournament was. Yeah. Uh, Nick Heisey, in his interview, he talked about recently becoming a father since his last appearance, and he wants to get his kid the future Jeopardy champion onesie. My younger one sported the future Jeopardy champion onesie. I think she's still in a commercial yes. Jeopardy store. Do you have any onesies? I don't. Ah. I don't. Um, I mean, your kids have far outgrown the onesie at this point. But Yeah. You know, my older one was already two or three um, when I first was on, and the younger one... I don't know what was going on. We just, we missed it. We missed the... I missed it. I Clearly, I wasn't being a good friend and gifting you that. That's when, okay. You know, we were working in All-Stars together back then. That's I should right. I should have been, <laughs> been gifting you a onesie. That's okay. What I don't kind think of we wanted to I? show that kind of favoritism. There but it's go. okay. My kids have plenty of Jeopardy paraphernalia. Well, we kicked off the semifinals on Wednesday with Nick Casconi going up against Deanna Bolio and Kit Sakelski. It was a slow start to the game, but Nick was able to form a small lead by the end of the Jeopardy round. In double Jeopardy is where he made his move, scoring 15 correct responses, a daily double, and a score of over $20,000 to really put an exclamation point on a runaway win. And it was the third runaway in a row this week. Wow. Yeah. Any feeling when you were in the studio of what was going on or was it just players got on fire? That's what it was. I mean, all of these champions have proven that they know how to win, but that buzzer, and it really just, it seems to me, you get on a streak, and it's strong, and then you get in your head when you're not on a streak, and you know that you're playing against other people who know how to win and know the responses and know their buzzer timing, and yeah, people yeah. just kind of got in their, their zone. Well, looking on the, at that double jeopardy buzzer percentage, 83% for Nick. That wow. is a very, very high buzzer percentage. Yeah. Nick was on fire. He gave the final clue in the Jeopardy round with a little ode to Sam Buttry. Uh, a bring it. couple bring it. Yeah, we've had a lot of bring it's actually. I love that Sam is a part of these competitions. Well, we head into Thursday, Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving show with Jen Jaswinski, Ed Hashima, and Amy Beckerman. This was a fantastic game. Ed got off to a great start and continued to build on his lead in double Jeopardy with the help of a $4,000 daily double. He appeared to be running away with it, but both Jen and Amy clawed their way back. Jen found the last daily double, wagering 
$1,000 and was correct to close the gap on Ed, eventually taking a quick lead. Ed scored on four of the five last clues of the round to take a small wow. lead back heading into final. And in final, Ed attempted to change his response at the last second, but he didn't quite have time. Jen was correct, and she earns... An exciting come from behind win. Yeah. It's got to be so tough to be Ed in that position, but it just shows that really anything can happen. And it's also why I, as you know, I like to encourage players to make big daily double wagers because without that, Jen isn't in that position to do that. Yeah. She said, you know, in the post game chat, she said, I knew I had to go big. It was just a matter of how big mm-hmm. I was going to go. And she went with 9,000. She wanted to leave herself. You know, a little, a bit, little of bit of a little bit of change, but yeah. But Ed, great play, and you know, we just talked about Nick's stats in double jeopardy. Ed with seventy-one percent, also incredible. I mean, you know, we generally see about fifty, sixty percent mm-hmm. uh, buzzer percentage for for really good players. But man, when you get into the seventies, eighties, that is demoralizing <laughs> as a fellow competitor uh, to play against someone who's getting in on that many. Well, we mentioned that Ed had competed with Sam in the professor's tournament, and Ed actually talked about reconnecting with him, and, you know, they went out to to grab a beer, and suddenly, all of a sudden, the manager is recognizing Sam, he wants to buy him a beer, you know, and meanwhile, Ed's like, I sat in the corner drinking my full-price beverage, but at the last clue... Of the double jeopardy round, Ed said, please, Ken, will you bring it? And Ken said, hopefully that will get you a free beer. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and Ken also revealed to the contestants that they each had over 40 attempts. That is a very strong knowledge base for all three of these players. Yes. And that received a huge applause from the audience because our audience knows that if all three of you know that many things, it really does come down. Yeah. And for the person in third place to be going into final with over, you know, $14,000, almost $15,000. That just shows what a high level of gameplay was going on in this match. Well, we closed out the week with another great game. Fred Nelson going up against Danielle Maurer and Dennis Chase. All three of our champions got off to a strong start, but it was Dennis who hit his stride in double jeopardy. A perfect 14 for 14 correct responses, including another one of these huge daily doubles, $8,000 for Dennis He appeared to be running away with it until Danielle found the last daily double. She scores an extra $5,000, putting her back into contention, heading into final jeopardy. All of our players were correct, and with that, Dennis topped off an impressive win. Fred and Dennis both with bow ties in this game. What's going on in the green room? Is there like a... I don't know. I guess, (laughs) you know, to quote Sam Buttry, they're really bringing it in the uh, fashion department. I like bow ties. I don't know that I love bow ties. Okay. Sometimes I like them. Well, you know, I I think it needs to be special. I don't think you can wear a bow tie every day. I still was trying to become the first person to wear an ascot on the Alex Trebek <laughs> stage, and I had one. I had a whole ascot outfit picked out if my team made it uh, into the this. finals I remember this. for uh, All-Star. So we're still waiting for an ascot on the Alex Trebek stage. And the I, gauntlet has been thrown. Yes. If you're out there, you're listening, wear that ascot. And wear it's, it. And, you know, one of the things I joked about with my wife is I was like, I was a pretty divisive player. People thought I was really cocky. Wait till they see me in an ascot. <laughs> I know. I think that was my number one reason for wanting to see your team in the finals. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, you know, heartbreak. The maybe, day will come. Maybe if I, you know, end up on another show someday, that can be my shtick is that right. I'm like always in an ascot. I love it. All right. Well, Ken did ask Dennis, you know, what do you attribute your success to? And Dennis revealed that he used to record books for the blind. So mm. he has a very big color vocabulary because he had to be able to describe 
colors exactly for those who weren't able to see them. And so that really helped him with that $8,000 daily double because the category was adjectives, A in quotations, looking for a word to describe a cloudless sky. Try this light blue. Mmm. Azure. You got it. Yeah. Well, you have to phrase it correctly. What is azure? Yeah. So anyway, I think it was an interesting point of view. Just another way to get good at Jeopardy. There's so many pathways, but obviously this one helped Dennis with that big daily double, and he is headed into the finals. Well, it is now time for our host chat, Buzzy. That's right. We did not have a new Celebrity Jeopardy last week, so let's go right to our host chat. Let's do it. An audience member asked Ken, who is your favorite person to compete against? You know, I really, uh, I'm somebody weirdly who plays better when the competition is really good. So I just, I'm very like enlivened when it's a real close game. And you know, even hosting, I'm like, oh boy, this is a good one. Uh, so like any close game, I was super into that. Like James Holtzauer, playing that guy is like not like playing a human. You know, he, he's just like a, a Jeopardy playing machine. And so just to be able to keep up with him, that was very exciting. Those were, those were fun games. I can't believe he didn't say you, Buzzy. Well, we've never competed against each other. That's right, because All-Stars... We didn't match up. didn't match up. Yeah, that was actually one of the things I really wanted to do was play uh, both Ken and Brad. I called them out during the... uh, the draft, and I really wanted to play them. And that's still something I wish I I could have done. Obviously, this was before GOAT, so we didn't know that, you know, James was going to get a shot at that. Who's your favorite person that you have competed against? I had a lot of fun playing both Jason Sterlocky, who was in my semifinal of my um, Tournament of Champions, and Alan and Austin. That was a very, very fun group. I think we all were great players who were pretty evenly matched. I think the stats bore that out. As Ken said, it's great when you play against someone who is is really tough and it makes you play better. I'd also like to throw uh, Larissa Kelly, who I played a couple of rounds against in All-Stars, was incredible. I'm really hoping to see her back on the Alex Trebek stage, maybe in the JIT, maybe something else, because Larissa is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, you have to thank a lot of those all-star team members. Maybe not you, because we haven't really decided if you're ineligible or not, but there's got to be a lot of those members of the all-star teams that will definitely be back for JIT. I'm out of practice, but I don't know. I think if I got up there, I could I could win a couple games. I love it. I want to see it. Well, it is time now, Buzzy, to transition a bit. Yes. Let's welcome into the pod champions, wildcard diamonds, finalist Aaron Craig. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. Well, we've talked to a lot of the Diamonds members because, you know, yeah. you're a proud bunch. Let me say that first off, Big, right? big personalities <laughs> in the Diamonds. We are as proud as a group of Champions Wildcards could possibly be, including now the fact <laughs> that I think we are going to set a record for number of contestants on the Inside Jeopardy pod. Yeah, I think that's true. So before you were a member of the elite Diamonds group, you were a mere champion back in season 37, and you had some pretty good competition. I just want to start out by saying, if people don't remember, you defeated Sam Stapleton, who obviously went on to be a finalist in his group of champions wildcard. So pretty good company. I think that speaks for itself about the level of champion you were in your initial two-game run. It was a great group. It was a great tape day. And I think it might be interesting if I can even go back. I was an alternate before I was a contestant. I was Mm. an alternate Ah. in December of 2020. And that was a great tape day, too, that included Dave Mayberry, uh, Alan Johnson uh, of the club's group. It was a real tour de force. Now, there were two of us alternates. And at the end of the the, the tape day, the other alternate 
told me, oh, they've asked me to come back in January. What about you? And I hadn't been asked. I hadn't been given a chance <laughs> to come back. So I thought I had done something horribly wrong. Right. So the rest of the, the, the very end of that day, I was like sidling up to the producers going like, uh, so is there anything you want to, you know, tell me before I leave? And they were just like, no, don't call us. We'll call you. Um, and so I thought I thought I had blown my shot. But come January, I got a call asking me to come back uh, to my real tape day. And yeah, I, I had remembered Sam from my alternate tape day. And I was thinking, just please, someone beat Sam because I don't think I can take him. Well, you're in good company because Buzzy was also an alternate yeah. before he became a champion. And many of our alternates turn champions say it really does help to have that extra day in the studio to kind of take it all in without the pressure of having to compete. I think it ended up being a big advantage. I do. I got to yeah. see an extra, uh, you know, rehearsal. I got to see all those games live. Of course, you're trying to get the timing of the buzzer down. But I do think it was an advantage. And uh, knowing Sam a little bit from that first day, it put me a bit of, a bit at ease. Let's talk about when you get the call to come back for Champions Wildcard. First of all, completely unexpected. Had no idea that this was happening, that they were going to do it for season 37, 38. It took me about a quarter of a nanosecond to say yes, uh, that, I would be, that I would be thrilled to get another shot. It took everything I had for me to not immediately tell everyone I knew, everyone in every friend group and on every social media. Well, and what do you do in the time leading up to coming back? You had obviously been here before. You had won games. You knew how to win. You knew how to lose because, as Buzzy always points out, every Jeopardy champion eventually does know how to do that as well. So what did you want to do to prepare for this unexpected return? I wanted to shore up areas that I knew were weak, and I had a few of them. I probably had more than a few of them, but the ones that I focused on specifically were history and mythology. I knew that those were real weak spots for me. I bought a couple of uh, For Dummies books in those areas. Uh, I also bought an art one that I didn't really get to and I wish now that I had, but that was the main thing I did was try to shore up on the areas that I was weak. You know, Jeopardy is an amazing game for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that there's different ways to be good at Jeopardy. You can be good by knowing all the answers. That's one way to be good. I recognize my strengths and weaknesses, and, and I think I know fewer right answers than a lot of people like Emily and Jelana say. Um, but you can also be good with buzzer speed and timing. You can be good with hunting daily doubles. You can be good at wagering strategy. And I think I tried to you know, be as good as I could at all of those other things because there wasn't a way that I was going to become good at contemporary literature or 19th century literature or something like that. It's just, that was just not gonna happen in the short time that I had. So I focused mm. on a couple of areas of weakness uh, substantively and just made sure I was solid on, on everything else. Well, wagering strategy certainly came into play in your quarterfinal game. Obviously, you're going up against Hari Parameshwaran, who had just come off of a second chance competition. So he was fresh. Also, Katie Hargrove. And you pull off a come from behind win thanks to a good wager in final. Hari is as tough as anyone I've ever played. I think that, you know, in a sense, I'm obviously thrilled that I was able to, <laughs> to pull it out and play more Jeopardy. It would have been some kind of final if it had been Hari against Emily and Jelana. Those three mm. would have been, I think, a really evenly matched. But I love Hari. We've kept in touch. We've uh, played uh, OQL together. In fact, he joined it. He came in as a sub on, on <laughs> my quiz team. 
Uh, so Hari is great. I was scared. I did not want to go up against him when I saw the, <laughs> the contestants in the quarterfinal pool. And I was, he was definitely one I was hoping to avoid. I didn't get to avoid him. So I just tried my hardest and yeah. <laughs> did the best I could. As they say, sometimes when you can't go around him, you got to go through him. 100%. And he deserved that second chance. He showed that he was in, he deserved yeah. it when he won that second chance tournament against Dave Mayberry, uh, an incredible triple yeah. player in his own right. Hari is, was a huge obstacle to, to overcome. And frankly, I got, I got a little bit lucky. I needed a, a triple stumper in final in order to win it. I knew that my final Jeopardy answer didn't really matter. It was the names the same final where you had to name the sixth person in line for the British throne. You know, I'm not big on royal royals or their kids. So I made a what I thought was a reasonable guess of Charlotte, thinking Charlotte's web. And Hari just couldn't come up with it. You know, I, I've had my fair share of lucky breaks. But after that, you really showed in that semifinal game that you deserve to be there with a runaway win against TJ Talley and Leo Wiegand. I think TJ had the number one choreat of the semifinalists going in. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and again, he was, you know, you look around when you're down to nine, it's like, who do I not want to play? Well, just about everyone in this room. Uh, right. But, you know, I thought that TJ and I had, had some some areas of similar strengths and some areas that were a little different. I would have liked an entire board of sports and pop culture, but we got the boards we got. Um, he is an incredible player. She so easily could have won it if she had she had managed to get that Rothko daily double. There's a lot of ways the balls can bounce and, and they bounced in my favor on that. Factors ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. A lot of players talk about, you know, in the moment, they are completely unaware of the scores, but you have talked about that you were paying attention to the score. And so you really knew in that moment at the end of Double Jeopardy that, oh my goodness, I've pulled off a runaway and I'm headed to the finals. I knew after the Daily Double exactly what the score was. And I knew before the last question that if I got it right, that it would give me a runaway over Leia. Well, as soon as I saw the clue, it was a top row clue. It was something about knowing to say when, when someone's pouring a drink. And I was just said to myself, if you're ever going to win a buzzer race, this is the one to win. And mm. when I won it, I was fired up. And I think you saw that on the TV. And I think everyone saw it. And some people thought I was too fired up. And all I can say is I was 
really, really pumped to win that buzzer race. My kids were there. I had never had a runaway before, and I was just really, really happy. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked a, a quite a bit, you know, there's this sense of how people expect or want a Jeopardy champion to behave. And the fact of the matter is we're all people and we're working hard to get to this place and having fun in whatever way it feels right for us. As you know, I've mentioned to Sarah, like I was my, the way I played and the way I had fun was also pretty divisive but at the time i remember our contestant coordinator <laughs> wisely quoted reggie jackson who said people don't talk about nobodies so the fact that you know you've pulled off this win and people are there commenting just shows like what a standout player you are i think that's right i think in my first run back in 2021 short as it was when i watched it back i, I was like i'm so stiff up there i'm showing i'm not really showing any of my personality like by my third game, I started to loosen up a little bit and, <laughs> and show some personality. But that was one thing I did have a have a conscious thought about is that I would like to to be a little more expressive out there. But that said, there's, there wasn't anything pre-planned about, about my reaction or any of that. I just couldn't believe that I was out of this incredible group of brilliant champions that I was lucky enough to get to go to the finals and, and yeah. potentially the tournament of champions. You know, that yeah. when the ball's bouncing your way, who knows? It could keep bouncing your way. And Aim high, one absolutely. One step closer, yeah. That would have been a, a lifelong dream of mine to go to the Tournament of Champions. I was a Jeopardy fan as a little, little kid, as well as other game shows. I was a big game show nut growing up in Canada. We were really lucky that we had not only the American game shows on the Buffalo channels, but there were also <laughs> Canadian game shows too, like Definition and... and uh, crazy one called Pitfall hosted by the great Alex Trebek, <laughs> Alex Trebek. It, is, it is very early days I was a devotee of of that show and so getting a potentially be in the tournament of champions I mean come on so we head into the finals our two-day total point affair and day one only you and Emily are correct in finals so you end that game in a pretty good position heading into day two certainly a score that has you very much in contention talk me through how you're feeling after day one, which we all know that two-day total point affair happens within a matter of minutes. So how yeah. are you feeling after game one heading into game two? Yeah, I had, as soon as I had locked in my wager on final in the first game of the final, and I bet fairly small, I was at 7,200 and I bet 2,800 to get to 10,000. As soon as I locked it in, I wanted to hammer the undo, undo button and bet more. But again, as I said, history was not a huge area of strength, although it was one that I had studied. But I had also been 0 for 2 in finals going into the finals. So I thought conservative was a better way to go. If I was down to zero going into the second game, it would just be really demoralizing. Yeah, one thing we've been talking about as we recap is how tough the finals have been playing in this Champions wildcard. Was that something that you all, in as you were playing in them, were aware of, that these were kind of falling on the harder side? Definitely, definitely. And that factored into my small wager in the first game final. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I thought, okay, I'm at 10,000. Emily's far ahead, but we're all capable of, of putting up big scores if you find the daily doubles and they, they hit your sweet spot. So I didn't think I was out of it. But I also knew that Emily and Jelana were both dynamite on the buzzer. Their timing was amazing. You can see that from the very first category of final was a sports category, <laughs> which has my strongest category. I got outbuzzed in four of the five. And I think <laughs> wow. the I think they didn't know the one about the the 
Texas A&M Aggies. And so I think that's the only reason why I was able to win that, <laughs> to win that buzzer race. And that's really frustrating when you think that's your strength. I'm a little bit of a video gamer and I practiced on the buzzer a lot. And when you're up against people who know more than you do and you're getting out buzzed as well, it's super frustrating. And it, I don't have a very good poker face in this situation. It, it showed on yeah. my face that I was super frustrated. Well, you can see in your stats in your quarterfinal, you have a 51% buzzer percentage, semifinal 57%, and then no fault of your own because you're buzzing in about the same amount goes down to 36%. Again, just the numbers playing out exactly what you said, that it was just hard to get in with those two great players. So we head into day two, obviously not your best game, but you knew that you had to swing for the fences. I was swinging hard and uh, I swung and missed and I'm, I'm okay with that. It was a tough board. It was uh, tough competitors. I did a little bit better on the buzzer in that game, but I found a daily double that was in an area of sci-fi. I had seen the movie Dude and I'd even read it once a long time ago, but I did <laughs> not remember the name of that planet. I was standing up there and thinking, it's House Atreides, and that's about all I remember. And Chalamet and Zendaya and Blue Eyes and Spice <laughs> and Worms, but the name of the planet was not coming to me. And, you know, that was one I think that if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to figure it out or piece it together. So yeah, that's, that's the breaks. It happens sometimes. And, uh, and after that, it just all fell apart. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's like nobody, nobody wants to lose, obviously. It never feels good. But one thing that I talked a lot about with my team when we were there for All-Stars is like, you'd rather lose because you took the swing than lose because you didn't go for it. You know, if you had made, let's say a small one and it was something easy and it, it left you too far behind. Well, I do have to say you're in good company as someone who didn't make it to the finals in day two. Your competitor, Dave Rapp, he put this little stat out there only the seventh time. Oh. Yes, that Elite. someone has failed to reach Final Jeopardy. Let's just talk about this. Guess who else had that happen? Roger Craig. Wow. One of the best ever to play the game. Absolutely. And Brad Rutter in the greatest of all time. It happens to even the best of champions. And what I love the most is coming out of the finals, you have been so supportive of not only your contestants in the final, but in the semi, in the quarterfinal. And you've been the first one commenting on social media about just the level of players that you were up against. It was such a great group. I know all the other groups are going to say this too, that they had, and it is an incredible experience and you're thrown together in this crucible and it, and it forges this amazing bond. But, but the diamonds were, were special, even, even among that. They are uh, such an incredible group of people. We had so much fun in the green room, in the audience, at the hotel. It was an incredible opportunity. Uh, and anyone who's, again, thinking about taking the anytime test, uh, getting on the show, do it. That's where it all started for me. And if you don't do that, then you're possibly missing out on on getting this opportunity. And I really think that these are lifelong friends with the other diamonds, yeah. the Brohawks, you know, all of, <laughs> all of us. I thought that after the tournament finished airing, that the group chat would die down. The group text it is instead exploded. We are we are at hundreds and hundreds of texts per day. So this is a really really strong bond. Love my diamonds. We know as you as you alluded to the champions wildcard are showing a lot of uh, suit pride. Are you as confident as everyone else that the diamonds are the best group and that you will show that in the tournament of champions with with your champion? Oh, Emily is going to wipe the floor <laughs> with, <laughs> with anyone you throw up against. 
against her. She is the, the best description I read about her was on social media. It, maybe you guys read it too. Is that she's like someone crossed a golden retriever with a contract killer. And, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would not, I would not want to have to play her again. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, now is my chance for my, as you I'm sure you, it sounds like you've been listening, but I have a couple questions for you to get really down to the nuts and bolts. As you know, I'm a gameplay strategist specialist, so I want to know uh, what's your lunch order when you're here on the Sony lot? Huge, hugely important question. I varied it up every day. The Tuesday I was not playing, I had a cheeseburger and fries, thought it was very solid, really happy with it. The Wednesday I tried to go lighter, <laughs> I had a caprese wrap. Um, mm. cannot recommend that in good conscience okay. <laughs> going forward. It was a little, it was a little meh. Then on the, th- the Thursday, which was the, we filmed the finals, uh, and it was just Emily Jelana and I sitting together at a table and I did the salad bar with some protein cheese. That was, I think a, a solid choice. Love the salad bar. I, I still I go to the salad bar a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And now my follow-up question, what is the stat? Because it seems like you have definitely put your head into these stats. What's the stat that you are most proud of? Oh my gosh. I think my buzzer, my general buzzer performance, I guess I'm I'm pretty proud of that. Until the final game, my not getting very many questions wrong uh, mm. was a stat that I, my accuracy was, I was pretty proud of that. And then I had to sort of relax on that just because of the game situation. So I was proud of that. There's a couple of clues I was also proud of getting. Um, and my first run, there was a clue of, that was basically, what's the name of Kerry Brownstein's band? Once upon a time, I knew nothing about music. And in my <laughs> 20s, I started to really embrace music. And so being able to pull out Slater Kinney in that situation, I was, I was pretty proud of that. That's a great one. Well, it's been quite a Jeopardy journey, Aaron. I have to ask, what's been the best part of it? Getting to play as many games as I got to play, being up there was so much fun. I, I can't overemphasize that. It is a blur, but it's a really fun blur. And I remember being in the moment ever since there was a moment in my very first game against Sam where at the start of Double Jeopardy, Sam like ran an African geography category. And I looked up and what had been a close game going into Double Jeopardy, all of a sudden it was like, <laughs> He had 18,000 and I had 6,000. And I was like, all of that buildup just to have it go like this. And ever since then, and, and when, I, when I made that comeback and got to win, it's all just been playing with the house money. But it's been so much fun playing with the house money. And so that's one thing. And the other thing is my diamonds group. These amazing yeah. people, uh, love them all. And going to keep loving them as we go down this this crazy road together. It's been an incredible ride and I'm so grateful to the producers and the and the show. You know, the one thing I didn't mention, when I moved to LA in, in 1999, one of the first things I did literally was come to the Sony Studios and audition for Jeopardy. <laughs> it wow. was that much of a no way. it was that much of a lifelong dream of mine to get on it and then to have gotten on it in 2021 and and again in this tournament was just thank you guys so much because it's a thrill of a lifetime. Well, thank you for joining us back on the Alex Trebek stage this season, but also here in the pod. Great to catch up with you. And uh, we know you'll be cheering on Emily Sands in the TOC. Good luck, Emily. Thanks, guys. And that's it for today's show. We'll be back next week for more game highlights. And we'll be speaking with the Champions wildcard winner from the club. So you won't want to miss that. 
cannot wait for that. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us at Jeopardy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, X, and we will see you all next week. See you next week. Bye.